Today I want to share with you a little vision for the coming year here at Edge Church because as we kick off a brand new uh, school year, it's great to talk about where we're headed as a church. And I think there's two words that describe uh, our future over the next 12 months. That's Jesus and friends. Jesus and friends. And so with that in mind, I want to direct our attention to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. And just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed, and they tried to bring him in and to set him down before him. And since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on a stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, well, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up and then he picked up what he had been lying on. And he went home glorifying God. And then everyone was astounded. And they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Amen. You can be seated. What a powerful story we find here in Luke chapter 5. And as we think about a new year, I want to challenge you to think about your friends and to think about Jesus. What we need more than anything else is we need friends and we need Jesus. And in this passage, we see the beautiful chemistry of how these two things come together. And we find a paralytic man, a man that had been lying on a mat for a really, really, really long time. Um, he was ill. His friends heard about Jesus, the healer, that had been moving through their town. And they did everything they could do to get their friend to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And I love the creativity and I love the, the passion of these great friends to bring their friends, to bring their friend to Jesus. But I want to outline two things about uh, Jesus, two things about friends and three things about Jesus this morning. But, you know, we need a dream team in our life. We need people. We need, we need others. We'll talk about Jesus in a minute, but we need people that point us to Jesus. We need people that encourage us. The Christian life is never to be lived alone. And I remember growing up as a kid that the superhero movies were more about the individual superhero, like Superman, you know, able to run faster than a speeding, uh, 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 run faster than a locomotive, you know, able to leap buildings at a single bound, all that. 
superheroes were more individualized. Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, she had that lasso and all that stuff. But today, superhero movies are more about the group, aren't they? I'm talking about like the Avengers. And uh, Thor's brother was so sinister that it took six Avengers to take him on, right? They had to all join forces together. And the Avengers are awesome because they all have different, they're all superheroes and they're all amazing, but they're different in different ways, right? Like Captain America is kind of like the leader guy. And uh, you got uh, Hulk, who's not very smart, but he is very strong. You got Iron Man, who's kind of the intellectual. Uh, You got Hawkeye, who's consistent because he's always shooting those arrows and he never misses. And then you got Black Widow, and and she's in there because she's hot. I mean, you know, that's like Scarlett Johansson. I mean, you know, she doesn't have any superpowers, but they put her in there because she's beautiful. And uh, they're like, okay, we'll put her in. And and so they're all kind of different, but they all work together and they take down the enemy because because they 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 work as a team. Oh, I want to ask you a question today. Who's your team? Who's your team? Who who's your group, man? Who who's your people? Who are the people that are always pointing you to Jesus? Is it some family? Is it is it friends? Is it is it your community? I hope that people at church that you're you're involved enough here at Edge that that the people that are with you are appointing you to Jesus. If you don't have friends like that, you're missing out on a huge aspect of your spiritual life. And that's the way God designed it. Now let's look at these great friends and let's see how they pointed their friend to Jesus. And the first thing we see is that uh, friends uh, that we need are the ones who have a working faith. Now, it's one thing to say that you have faith, but the book of James says if you have faith, your faith always works. It always, it always happens. Um, sometimes we talk about faith and it sounds ethereal, or it sounds abstract, or it sounds subjective. You know, like just have faith. You know, rainbows and unicorns, have faith. And sometimes we're like, well, what does that mean, though, like to have faith? When you have faith, you work. In fact, the more faith that you have in the Lord, the more you will attempt for God, the more you will try to do. It's not the opposite. And if you really have faith in the Lord, you will be working. You you will be serving. You will be helping. You will be pointing people to Christ. And a real faith is a working faith. Now look at Luke 5, 18. Just then some men came uh, carrying a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and to set him down before Jesus. But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him in through a stretcher into the middle of the crowd. I mean, you know, so they bring their friend to Jesus and they find out so many people are are there listening to Jesus teach that they can't get their friend in. I think I would have thought, well, we'll wait till Jesus finishes and before he runs off to the next town, we'll corner him and we'll see if he can help. That's not these friends. These friends are like, our paralytic friend needs Jesus and he needs him right now. And so they march up to the rooftop. Now in the ancient world, rooftops were flat and there was usually an external staircase. And that was where people socialized, was on the, on the rooftop. And uh, you can read about that through other passages of scripture, but... but um, the rooftop was kind of like the man cave. Mostly men hung out there. 
You would eat. You would bring your buddies over. I don't know if they shot pool or what they did, but they had a great time. So it wasn't unusual that people were on the rooftop. What's unusual is they dug a hole. They dug a hole in the roof. I mean, come on now. These people, these friends are not going to be denied, right? Like, it's like our, our paralytic buddy is getting to Jesus one way or another. And so one friend says, hey, let's remove the roof tiles. Another friend's like, hey, you know, I don't know if that's insured. And, and then another one's like, I've got some rope. And anyway, they all get together and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Is that not awesome? I love the commitment. I love the creativity to reach people. Listen, man, if you're a follower of Christ, you should be one of the, you should be so creative in bringing friends to Christ. We should be so creative. I will pick you up. I will bring you to church. I will buy your Starbucks. And if you like church, I may even buy your lunch. How about that? What links are we willing to go to to dig a hole for people? To bring friends to Christ. A working, a working faith. Total determination. We have a statement here at Edge Church that we put on a lot of things. that says, anything, everything, or nothing, whatever is required. And that is the spirit with which God wants us to compel and to bring our friends to Jesus. Anything. Everything or nothing, whatever, whatever is required, whatever's required. Um, the men are not recorded for saying anything, but their actions said any, everything. Isn't that beautiful? The men don't say, Jesus, our friend is here. Can you help him? No. Jesus got it. All of a sudden, he sees the little dust particles start to cave in, and then some pieces of the roof start caving in and people panic. Jesus gets it. He's like, okay. They had to probably dig out a pretty good hole in the roof to get a whole man through that, right? I mean, he was probably horizontal. And so they had to clear out a pretty good space. It was obvious. Your deeds will always speak more than your words. And your faith will be seen in what you do. So what are we doing for Christ? What are we doing? Uh, what, what are, how are we acting? What, what, what decisions are we making? And there will always be an obstacle to follow Christ. There's always an obstacle in bringing friends to Jesus. The obstacle this time was just that it was so crowded. But, but when you really get serious about reaching people and reaching friends, there will always be obstructions along the way. Uh, to do it, and we have to work around and through those things. We got to dig a hole, um, and the men are, they don't say anything, but Jesus gets it. Um, I, I was talking to my seventh grader the other day, and uh, he said, "Dad, I've been inviting friends to church through Xbox. You know, a lot of kids today have friends through video games, and you know, in the old days, it was like you would go to school and make a friend and have a buddy. Well, now people meet online." And so you can have friends you've never even seen in person. And uh, my son has been working on bringing friends to youth group that he's never even met before. And I thought, that is so clever. I love the creativity of that. Let's use technology to bring friends to Jesus. Let's, let's use whatever means are before us, whatever relationships that God has, has put into your life, whether it's a work associate or a neighbor or or 
somebody else that you have contact with. You know, God wants us to be about bringing people to Christ. And a few years ago, we had a lady that came and gave her life to Christ. We had moved into our building here a few years ago, and um, she was uh, all excited. Over the next few months, she brought, I think, three or four different friends from her office that all committed their lives to Jesus. And it was just the most amazing thing to see what was, what was transpiring. In fact, one, one week she invited a, a girl named Megan, and Megan was an atheist. And, and so she invited her friend Megan, hey, c- uh, you know, we work together, come to church, and I'm getting baptized. Come support me, I'm getting baptized. And the atheist friend says, well, I'm an atheist. The church is going to burn down if I come to watch your baptism. And she's like, no, it probably it doesn't work that way. You know, you, you just need to come. And, and Megan, the first-time guest, the atheist, gave her life to Christ the first Sunday that she came to Edge Church. Isn't that amazing? Well, it all started with an invitation. It all started with an invitation. And then after that, her son gave his life to Christ. And then she started bringing people. And guys, it's, it's you know, the kingdom of God is, a, is, is not rocket science. It's about people helping people find and follow Christ, which is the mission statement of our church. And every one of us has a great opportunity to influence and to bring people to meet the Savior. And good, the good news is God wants to use your life. God has put some people in your proximity for a reason. You see, the the people that you see every day, that's not by accident. God put them there. I'm a youth basketball coach, and I'm always inviting the kids from our youth basketball team. You see, I don't think that reaching people is about doing new things. I think God wants to use the relationships most of the time that we already have. Right? Let's don't make this complicated. You know, this doesn't mean that you have to go join four civic organizations to meet people to bring to church. God, God's given you neighbors. God's given you people that you work with or around. God has given you people that you see through your normal traffic patterns of life. I go to Starbucks a lot. I'm friends with all the baristas. Down through the years, many, many baristas from Starbucks have given their lives to Christ at Edge Church. And God just uses normal, normal patterns of life to see spiritual transformation. And so these guys have amazing faith, don't they? They have a working faith. Um, One of the ways that we can uh, express our faith is in prayer, intercessory prayer. A lot of times we think about prayer and we're like, okay, God, here's my five problems. I need you to intervene today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's a prayer life. Intercessory prayer is when you're praying on behalf of somebody else. And that's a huge part of prayer. So who are you interceding on behalf of? Maybe you've got some friends that have got some kids that have kind of gone off the radar, kind of gone this direction, and you're praying for those kids to come back to what they know is right. Or or maybe you're just interceding for some people that are hurting. Are you praying for some people? In that prayer of intercession, we ought to be praying for the salvation and for the life transformation of people that God has put into our path. So I need friends who have a working faith, and I need friends who also have an inspiring faith. Now, I want to be this friend. It's one thing to sit around and say, well, you know what? I wish that I had some friends like that, you know? What's wrong with everybody, you know? Where is everybody? Where are these kind of friends? 
We need to be this friend, but we also want to be in relationship with people like this, don't we? Listen, don't we want to have some friends that, that will pray for us if we're hurting and struggling? Don't we want to have some friends that will inspire us when we're, when we're down? And these men begin to move the heart of Jesus. Now, see, Jesus is inspired by the faith. I mean, sometimes we think about us inspiring each other. Jesus was touched, man. These guys took their friend up to the rooftop and began to remove the tiles? Who are these guys? And Jesus was touched. Luke 5.20 says, seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. I mean, Jesus is like, what faith is this? Man, your sins are forgiven. Wow. It's inspired. Uh, seeing. You know, a faith should be seen. Look at that word there. Faith should be seen. Faith is not something that is unseen. Faith should be seen. Some people say, well, I have faith and it's a private faith. And I don't really talk about it that much. But you know, faith is both private and public. And when you have a private faith, you also have to have a public faith. So this is how it works. You pray in, in private, God, I want my friends to know Christ. And then you bring them to Edge Church and then they find the Lord and they get baptized and that's public. So faith is both private and public. It's not just private. If your faith is just private, if nobody knows that you are a person of faith, then you don't really have faith because faith has to work. So faith is private and public. It's both and. It's not just either or. It's, it's private when um, I get on my knees and pray and I have confidence and peace with the crazy people that I work with. You know, that's, that's, that's in and out. It's private and it's public. All right? my, my heart is different because I spend time with Jesus privately and it changes me publicly. So Jesus was seeing this faith that was going on. And walking with God, I'll tell you what, is so much fun because faith has so many possibilities. When you're a person of faith, the solutions to your problems and issues just quadruple. I mean, they extend so much. Jesus is walking on the water, and the disciples are in the boat, and Peter's like, you know what? I want to walk on the water. And the other disciples sat there, and Jesus got, I mean, uh, Peter got out of the boat. Jesus was like, okay, well, you're asking. Come on, you know? Come on out there. And Peter's walking on the water, you know, and all that. Well, he asked. You know, his faith compelled him to get out there with Jesus. So faith is fun. Man, uh, there was a sick, Matthew chapter 8, a, a sick servant. And, and uh, the Roman centurion's trying to take care of his guy. And he's like, Jesus, just give the word. Jesus is going to the guy's house to, take, to heal this guy. And he said, just give him the word. You don't even have to come. Jesus is like, well, I haven't seen such great faith in all Israel. You're, you're, you're a Gentile. And the Jewish people who are supposed to know God, they don't have faith that's even close to that. Okay, Shazam, he's, he's healed. Wow. You know? I mean, faith excites the heart of God. When you have faith, God will give you the ability to see answers and solutions that are even so much further beyond the natural. And that's why we need faith in our life. We need a working faith and we need an inspiring faith. We need to inspire others and we need to inspire God to want to, to want to 
intervene in our life. And it says, when he saw their faith. Now check that out right there. When he saw their faith. I would have, if I would have written this passage, I would have said, uh, when he saw the paralytic's faith. Right? Because that kind of makes sense, right? Like, this guy's sick, and he, and he believes in Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Right? That's the way it's supposed to work. That's not the passage. The passage says what? Their faith. Like the group, right? Like the Avengers, like all of them, right? Like, like all, of, all of the friends are getting together. And when Jesus saw what their faith was, it moved the heart of Jesus. That's why we need to have people believing and praying with us. Now, I don't think this means that the paralytic didn't have faith. I think it means that the paralytic had faith because his sins were forgiven. And it means that his buddies were having faith too. And they all collectively were operating in faith. Think about it for a moment. Somebody had faith for you when you didn't have faith. Before you committed your life to Jesus, if you're a Christ follower. Somebody believed that you could give your life to Christ. Somebody had faith on your behalf. Somebody believed what you couldn't see it yet, but somebody believed that you could. That's why we need people around us. Believing people, encouraging people. We're starting our connect groups on Sunday nights on the 13th of September. And the reason we're doing that is we're building community. Our serve teams, some of the greatest friends you'll have at Edge Church are the people you serve with and people you're in community with. And, and, and we, we need to be serving together. What happens? You get people that are believing together and praying together and expressing their faith as these great friends did. Now, what about Jesus? We need friends, but we need Jesus. Jesus meets this man's emotional, spiritual, and physical needs all at once. And this is why he's such a wonderful savior. Um, I need Jesus to encourage me, first of all. Look at this. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. And I want you to look at the phrase, be encouraged. Jesus is the only person in the Gospels who uses this term. And he uses it repeatedly. And sometimes it's translated in other passages as take heart. Jesus is speaking to the emotional trauma that this man has been through. I mean, can you imagine how much anxiety that he must have had all of his friends are out playing and having a great time living their life and he's laying at home on a mat. He has to have somebody wait on him 24-7. He probably can't even get up to go to the bathroom or to eat a meal or he can't walk down the street. He can't do anything. He's broken. He's discouraged. He's disheartened. He's, he's tired. He's scared. He's alone. He's afraid. And Jesus recognizes that and he says, listen, take heart, be encouraged. Listen, Jesus sees your pain. Jesus sees your struggle. Jesus knows where you hurt. Jesus knows those sore spots in your life. And actually he says, literally, if you translate this verse, keep on being encouraged. And this is an imperative um, in, the, in the Bible, the imperative is a command. So Jesus commands the paralytic, be encouraged. How about that? Now, I mean, I wonder if the paralytic thought for himself, 
you know, for a moment, well, yeah, thanks, Jesus. I mean, I don't, I'm not feeling so encouraged, you know. <laughs> Jesus commands it. Be encouraged, you know. Um, whenever, I, whenever I can think of this, this command, uh, take heart or be encouraged, it's, it's, it's an imperative. So Jesus uses this phrase over and over and over again to encourage people. Listen, be encouraged. Listen, you may not be feeling encouraged. You can be encouraged because Christ, if he's in your heart, he's with you. And you always have hope and you always have strength with Christ. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Uh, Jesus is greater than sadness, frustration, anger, insecurity, or fear. And he speaks directly to this man's pain. Um, a few years ago, Gina and I bought our first house. We had a neighbor next door. His wife had gotten pregnant. They went and did those pre-birth um, tests. I don't know what they're called, but they tested the baby, and they said the baby may have um, some uh, problems. And the, 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 the neighbor was absolutely freaking out. He was so upset. And I, I began to talk to him about the Lord, and it opened up a beautiful door for me to talk to him about Christ. And I thought about it afterwards and I thought, had he not gotten those tests, I don't think we would have had that conversation. So sometimes there's people that are hurting around you and it's great opportunity. It's great opportunity. This guy would never talk to you about his spiritual life, but all of a sudden he lost his job and his wife wants to leave and now he's all ears when it comes to Jesus. You know, God will use that. When we get emotionally vulnerable, sometimes that's God's way of helping open our hearts to be a little more sensitive to the spirit than, than we might be otherwise. Um, I, I, we had a next door neighbor when we first started Edge Church that um, was fighting with his girlfriend all the time. And, and one night um, the police showed up. And it was like 2 a.m. and I went over and uh, talked to the police officer and he said, yeah, there's a, some report of domestic violence or some things like that. And, and um, I went back the next morning and I talked to the guy that was next door and I said, hey, man, are you guys okay? And he said, man, we're really fighting. We're having a hard time. And I said, you know, I want you to come to church. And he said, man, I'd love to come to church. I need to come to church. So this next door neighbor who's fighting with his girlfriend, the police are being called. He starts showing up at church and he starts serving on the setup team because at that time we met in a school and everybody would get there at 6 a.m. to set the church up, you know, and it was a lot of work. And this guy was a great worker. And I don't think had he been not been having those problems that he would have come at 6 a.m. to help set the church up. But it was a beautiful opportunity for, for God to work in his life. So God works through our emotions. God works through those things. And Jesus wants to meet our emotional needs. Jesus cares about all of us. He really does. He also cares about our spiritual needs. And he says, your sins are forgiven in Matthew 9, verse 2. Now, let's talk a little bit about the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God, the forgiveness that Jesus extends to this man is supernatural in nature. Did you know that? I mean, when Jesus forgives sins, it is supernatural. It is not natural. It is supernatural. Um, Jesus could do what no man could do and what nobody else could do. And the whole argument 
that Jesus was having with the scribes and the Pharisees is they were saying, how dare you say you can forgive sins? Only God alone can forgive sins. And what Jesus was arguing is that I'm the incarnation of God and therefore I have the ability to forgive sins. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, excuse me, they were right and wrong. Only God forgives sins. They just didn't realize that Jesus was God. That was the problem. So God's forgiveness of your sins is a supernatural thing. When you give your life to Christ, God supernaturally forgives your sins. Here's the second thing. It's also comprehensive forgiveness. Jesus forgives all of our sins. I mean, um, he doesn't forgive us partially. Jesus didn't say, you know what? Some of your sins are forgiven. <laughs> he forgives all of them. It's comprehensive. Um, it's instant it's instant forgiveness. He uses the word are. Your sins are forgiven. Present tense, meaning now. The moment that you have faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. It's instantaneous today. If you've never given your life to Christ in an instant today, your sins can be forgiven. Is that not wonderful? Is that not amazing? It's instantaneous. It's also, it's also permanent forgiveness. And it's not here today and gone tomorrow. And God's forgiveness in our life is not based on our merits. It's based on grace, getting what we don't deserve. And that's why he said in Luke 5, 20, seeing his faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And you know what? You become a friend of Jesus when you become his disciple and his follower. And that's why he calls him friend. So it's an ongoing thing. It's a permanent thing. And Jesus' forgiveness is profound. It's amazing. Uh, Jesus cared more about this man spiritually than he did physically. Do you see it? Now he speaks to the emotional. He speaks to the spiritual. And he speaks to the physical. Jesus cares about all of us. But the most important is our spiritual. Is our spiritual life. Listen, you can be physically well and you can run into hell or you could crawl into heaven. So God is more concerned with our spiritual than he is with our physical. But Jesus does care about all of us. Now look at the physical side here. Look at this. Uh, Jesus heals me. Okay? Look at this physical stuff here. In Matthew 9, 6. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up and walk and take your mat and go home. Jesus heals this man. Uh, does Jesus heal people? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Jesus does heal people. Um, my uh, wife reminded me this week, we were talking a little bit about this passage, and she reminded me when she was five years old, she was at school, and her and her twin sister got out of the car and ran into the school, and they weren't paying attention and uh, Gina ran out in front of another car, and she was run over by the car. And um, she was crying. I mean, it was total chaos, total pandemonium. The lady that ran over her drove her and her mom, Gina and her mom, to the hospital. Her mom snatched Gina up. They jumped in the car with the, with the stranger and went to the hospital. And Gina's mom's praying for Gina, obviously. And she says, Gina, do you want to pray? And Gina prayed. She said, Jesus, I hurt. And she said right when she prayed this prayer of faith that she began to feel better. 
And by the time that she got to the hospital, she wasn't even crying anymore. And she felt like a normal kid. And she went in and started talking to the doctors and the nurses. And, and uh, the, the crazy thing was that she had the, the tire mark across the poncho. Right, so nobody could say, well, maybe she didn't get run over. No, it was like the Michelin man was right here, you know, all the way across. And they put her in one of those little little rooms and, you know, the nurse and the doctor would look at her and then they would say, you got run over by a car? Yes, I got run over by a car. Okay, can you walk? And she would get up and she would walk around and, and then... Um, the, they would say, well, okay, wait just a second. They would bring some other doctors in, like, hey, maybe we're missing something. You know, the nurse was like, come, come check this out. And some other people would come in, and they would look. And, you know, she was good. And she went back to school and played on the playground with the Michelin man on her poncho. How about that? That's crazy, isn't it? So does God heal people? Does God heal people instantly? Sometimes he does. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, though, God heals people gradually. And we find that in the story of Naaman in 2 Kings. Um, he comes to the prophet and he says, uh, prophet, I got leprosy. What do I need to do? And he says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And so Naaman is cleansed of leprosy over, over a period of time, you know, as he, as he dips seven times. It wasn't instantaneously. Sometimes God... Heals instantly. Sometimes God heals gradually. Sometimes God chooses to not heal at all. And uh, the example of that we find is in uh, the life of the Apostle Paul. He's got a thorn in the flesh. And the Apostle uh, pleads with God, please heal me. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. But it's obviously something that's physically traumatic enough that... He prayed about it, and a thorn in the flesh doesn't sound very appealing, does it? I mean, you know, like, so we don't know if he had a problem with his eyes or if he had epilepsy or whatever he may have had. But it was enough of a physical ailment that, that Paul was incapacitated at times. He was, he was not able to perform his normal duties. He was in pain. He was in misery. And God's response to him is, is my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I love this because... It wasn't like God just said, uh, Paul, you're hurting, you know, that kind of stinks. I'm really sorry about that, you know. No, my grace is sufficient. In other words, when you're, when you're sick, when you're not well, when you're hurting, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, the grace of God is going to sustain you and get you through whatever you are going through. Isn't that beautiful? And so Jesus begins to reach out to this man. He cares about his physical well-being. He cares about his emotional well-being. But more than all that, he cares about his spiritual life. Your sins are forgiven. As we think about this new year, I want you to think about friends and Jesus. Do you have the right friends in your life? Do you have the right people that are building you up in faith that are praying with you, that are encouraging you, that are blessing you? Do, do, do you have those kind of friends? Friends and Jesus. And do you have a, a faith that is, that is working and a faith that is, that is taking shape and that is becoming the, the, the faith that's propelling you 
into the future and into the woman and the man that God has purposed for you to be. Man, what a great opportunity we have this year to get to know Jesus and to get to know our spiritual friends. Would you pray with me for just a moment?